Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to Lead with Empathy. Today, I am chatting with Caitlin G of Mrs. G Free Living, who is a certified institute for integrative nutrition health coach who helps families with celiac disease build a foundation of knowledge and confidence in the gluten-free lifestyle, including at home and when dieting out. I got connected with Caitlin through Instagram. I don't remember exactly how, but she is in my home state and we both have celiac disease and I'm sure it was found through some kind of hashtag or something, but we've chatted before about managing celiac disease and just recipes in our DMs. So I thought it'd be nice to have her on the podcast as kind of a follow-up to the one I did about my personal journey with celiac disease, getting diagnosed. And we kind of talk about that in the episode, our personal journeys to health and continued healing, and also talk about food allergies. I have food allergies and so do her kids. So we kind of bounce around there too. But I think this episode's good for anyone who has celiac or is going gluten-free, has food allergies in the house, just navigating those. Honestly, anyone wanting a more understanding of what it's like living with this autoimmune disease. And again, it plays well off of what I talked about um, in the previous episode about my diagnosis and just understanding. I think Caitlin's going to be a great resource for people, especially new diagnoses. I mentioned, I know people who have been told, including myself, just go gluten-free and really not given more guidance. And that is a pitfall, I guess, of traditional medicine that we just don't do enough if people aren't referred to nutritionists or dietitians that specialize in this. So I think she's a great resource for anyone who is new to the navigating world of celiac disease. And with that, I will put her details in the show notes and welcome Caitlin to Lead with Empathy. Hello, Caitlin, and uh, welcome to the podcast. I did a podcast on celiac disease for my audience. Uh, My story, my diagnosis, it's something I'm pretty passionate about, but I also gave an intro. But will you introduce yourself and talk about how Ms. Gee Free Living came to be your diagnosis in your business? Yeah, thanks so much, Holly, for having me today to discuss gluten-free living in my story. So I was diagnosed almost 10 years ago at 27 years old. And it wasn't until I had my twins in 2017 that also, you know, they were diagnosed with different allergens as toddlers. So I was traveling for work and I was kind of sharing. I created an Instagram page to share the places that I found great gluten-free items and meals and kind of like navigating, you know, gluten-free life. And so in 2020, during the pandemic, I kind of found that working remotely gave me a little bit more space, you know, to learn. And so I became a certified health coach and formed an LLC in 2021. When I got diagnosed, having a nutritionist, you know, an allergist for my children, a PCP and therapist, and I did have supportive friends and family, but there's still something missing, like there's this gap and I wanted to fill it. And that's kind of where, you know, becoming a gluten-free lifestyle health coach came in. That's cool. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that too. But real quick, I wanted to also share that you do gluten-free events in our state with local restaurants. And so can you talk about that real quick? Because what do you do you actually make the kitchen gluten-free for a night? I'm just really curious because you you post all these things about events and I'm always wondering, like, do you revamp the fryers? Do you like well, how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, again, like as I shared part like part of my business and the pillars that I have is education, community, and giving. And so I had this really memorable experience when I first signed out for the first time being gluten-free. And, you know, the angst and courage it took to do that was a lot. And so I visited um, Surly in Portland. It's uh, downtown on Free Street. 
And the chef and owner there actually came to my table and explained exactly how they prepared the food in the kitchen. They went through the whole entire menu with me. And actually, like the menu was, you know, at that time, 80% gluten-free naturally. And so that really just left such a great, you know, experience in my mind. And so the events today that I, you know, collaborate and host are done with folks that understand cross-contact. Um, They understand, you know, the precautions and kitchen protocols. So they're able to make, you know, the menu 100% gluten-free. You know, what they do, again, is there's either like a separate area where they're prepping food. But for the most part for that night, you know, the the kitchen's pretty much gluten-free. There might be like a roll or like crackers that aren't. But they do actually like if the meal's gluten-free, like for example, we did like a lobster popover at Surly this past fall and it was gluten-free that night, which was great. Fantastic. And so the other part to it too is the fryers there are already dedicated gluten-free fryers. So that's, you know, a bonus again, because a lot of restaurants, they don't have a separate yeah. fryer or it is shared. So it's truly not gluten-free. Even you though throw a chicken tender in there and it's all over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's like, that's what's so frustrating dining out gluten-free is because like they'll say, well, French fries are just potatoes. They're gluten-free. But once it touches that shared fryer, as we know, it's not it's not gluten-free anymore for a celiac, especially. So yeah, I, I try to collaborate with people that are either gluten-free themselves. They understand what is needed for a celiac safe environment. I have found, you know, over the past 10 years since being diagnosed that restaurants are getting better with understanding allergens and, you know, um, celiac because they, they might have a family member that has it as well. I find that too. I find... Um... I find that a couple of places are more familiar. I used to live in that area when my husband and I were in school and that's when I was diagnosed. And so I had a lot more availability of restaurants. Unfortunately, where I am now, I don't feel safe to really eat anywhere. And that's that's okay with me. But I just think it's really cool that you have the availability to do these events for people because... Every once in a while, be like I was drooling as you're saying lobster pop over the fact that some of these places are willing to completely alter their menus is really cool. And did you know in other parts of the world? I mean, I've always Googled. I've said to my husband, where would we go? Like, I am so prepped with everything. Where would we go? And eventually, if we decided to go to Europe, did you know that Italy is the number one place? for celiacs to travel, the land of pasta. I know, I know. It's pretty amazing. They have different guidelines for allergens and they have much more strict rules and laws about allergens and kitchens than the United States does. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely on my bucket list to go there. And then just wanted to add the other piece to my event. So really it's about, you know, raising awareness about celiac and advocating. It gives people the chance to, you know, ask staff, you know, and practice that, you know, questioning the menu and things like that. And then a portion, if if it's a ticketed event, I donate a portion of the proceeds to um, a local nonprofit that, you know, means a lot to me. And it's either like with food insecurity, I've done full plates, full potential, the Center for Grieving Children. There's a handful of others. So I have that listed on, on my website of the different spots that we've collaborated and the different um, nonprofits I've donated to. And so, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, that's amazing. You can come to my area anytime. But <laughs> so I'd love to. Yeah, I would love to know more what you do for clients um, as a gluten free wellness coach as well, because I am familiar with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And how do you weave that together with a gluten free lifestyle and help people navigate a gluten free life? Because I'm sure. Well, 
couple of things. I know I've seen even in groups online of people saying, does anyone know anyone who can help me navigate celiac and how to navigate being gluten-free? I'm sure also there's an underlying sadness, I think, with everyone who's diagnosed. I know at the time for us, like we were used to be able to dine out and do things. I was newly married and then all of a sudden you can't. And that was a big transition. So how do you help people transition to becoming celiac? You mentioned it gives people practice in a restaurant. So what else do you do to help people become gluten-free, I guess? Yeah. So um, my vision with the health coaching and gluten-free living was truly helping families or individuals navigate life gluten-free. So I gratefully had support from PCP, GI, nutritionists through my health benefits, which I know not everyone has access to. So with this, I still recognize that, you know, I talked earlier about that gap. And so for me, this was being a wellness and lifestyle coach. So because truly going gluten-free, you know, as you know, having a gluten-free diet is the only treatment for a celiac. So amongst other intolerances or allergies, you know, there is this navigation of grief. I find that it's being talked more about now, like with, you know, mental health and everything. But I haven't, you know, when I first was diagnosed, I didn't feel that way. And I felt like, you know, people didn't understand. And, you know, I think one of the big things was I really started to get anxious just doing everyday, you know, like things like I work, you know, full time. And so I was traveling and if there was a work dinner, I'd get really anxious going to just a friend's house for dinner. You know, I didn't want to come across rude if I didn't accept, you know, food. So part of like my programming it's helping folks overcoming and, and getting strategies to overcome that fear and support the grief and then become confident, you know, cooking in the kitchen, confident going out to dinner and then other social events like weddings. And I've, you know, had some clients reach out. She wanted to host a baby shower and she wasn't sure where it would be safe for her daughter who was, you know, celiac and gluten-free. So I helped her, you know, find a, a place that would suit them and kind of vet it out, you know, ask the questions like for them and supported them through that process. Awesome. Yeah, I, I was writing down, as you were saying, like access is one reason I want to bring you on because I was kind of thrown and said, oh, go gluten-free. And that was the extent of my education, even like in my follow-up. It was unfortunately, I'm not bashing anyone. It was just really I didn't get anything. And at the now what I know about like I should have been tested for all kinds of things to make sure I wasn't deficient in X, Y or Z. But it's funny you mentioned like not being rude at a friend's house because people don't understand. I would say in the past. So I've it's been about six years, uh, six and a half years since I was diagnosed. And I think there are people in my family that are just getting it now, like on both sides, that it's truly like, I'm not trying to be rude. I have friends. I have a anyone that comes into my life like as a new friend. I kind of say, look, I'm not ever trying to be rude. And I, I love that you're trying, but I also have a cashew allergy and we don't do dairy. One of my kids doesn't do dairy. So I say like anything that doesn't come from my kitchen, I typically don't eat it. And thank you so much for trying. And I appreciate it. But please don't take offense that I pretty much don't eat anything unless it comes from my kitchen. Do you ever do it that way? I mean, well, you have access to restaurants, but that's pretty much how I live my life. And there is this degree of you have to get over like you're not being rude. You're protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I have found like if I'm going to like a potluck or, you know, a friend's house, it's like, well, what can I bring that gluten free that I can safely eat? So it's kind of been, I guess, my approach. But yeah, I've had like neighbors when we were, you know, new to the neighborhood, their children made us cookies. And so I had to, you know, decline the cookies because, you know, at that time I didn't have kids. But yeah, it 
it was kind it's of hard. Uncomfortable. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. But it and it's also like we're not trying to be rude. It's just unfortunately, this is just how it is. So and I know for me, the necessity to be gluten free, I had to in general, also pay attention to what I was eating and how it made me feel. You noted on your website that you're still healing too. And is that a, a journey for you still? I'm just curious. I was going through your website, kind of learning about you outside of what I already knew. And I was curious if your healing journey, you're still there. Yeah. So when I was first diagnosed with celiac, like, like you mentioned, it's just so like, oh, you just have to go gluten free. And that was kind of like, you know, the gist. And I was sort of educated about dining out, but not to the extent that like I learned myself from experiences. But the other part was I ended up having to go on a low FODMAP diet. And that was about, I think I did it for, I don't know, three to six months and on top of being gluten-free. And so I won't get into a low, low FODMAP diet, but I'll just say it's a type of sugar. And so certain foods yeah. have certain types of sugars like that you're supposed to avoid. And it helps for people with diagnosis of SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is not uncommon in people who have had celiac disease. And yeah. Yeah. So on top of being gluten free, on top of like having to really eliminate a lot of foods, like for me, onion and garlic, dairy. And so it became really restrictive. And so again, like trying to heal from this new diagnosis on top of like felt very restrictive. You know, I, I finally with the guidance of a nutritionist with all that, I did, you know, heal and was able to incorporate things back. But, you know, I was listening to some of your podcasts too recently. And it's like, I've also had to heal like my relationship with food and then like the mental health and just different family dynamics. You know, I found a diary when I was like 10 years old. And I mentioned like going on a diet at 10 and it just it really broke my heart when I read that. And, you know, having a daughter and a son, I can't imagine them ever feeling that way or having a relationship with food like that. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier, I started going back to therapy again in 2020. I did a lot of IFS work. Um, internal family systems. And then I continue this support because I believe it it's given me the tools and strategies during, you know, these challenging times. It helps me be a better wife, mom and friend. And I've always been an anxious person since I was younger. And, and truthfully, before I was diagnosed with celiac, I thought, you know, my stomach issues were just stress and IBS. And that's always what I was told. And so you know, I've gone through a lot of seasons of high stress, which I, I don't mean to joke, but, you know, the past three years have just kind of felt like a dumpster fire. And it's just living with chronic stress and anxiety. You know, I've continued to deal with some health issues. Thankfully, recently, I've, I finally got myself in for colonoscopy and another endoscopy because I hadn't had one since the original when I got my diagnosis. But as you know, having an autoimmune disease, there are, I don't know the percentage, but a lot of folks get another like autoimmune disease diagnosis. So they thought I could have Crohn's or I think it's called microscopic ulcerative colitis. And so I was, that's why I went in for those tests. And so they, it, they came back normal, which I'm thankful for. But again, it's just, it's just very complex. I've said, I'm kind of thankful uh, in a weird way for my diagnosis of celiac disease, because if I had not started down this cascade, I don't know if I would be where I am now. Like I think about you, you were, I'm talking about things that I've talked about on my podcast, but like I was a binger and then also like always told I had IBS, but had like sluggish symptoms all the time, told it's normal. I wasn't grossly overweight. I was just at like felt awful all the time. And then I'm diagnosed with celiac disease and kind of said, just don't eat gluten. But then you find a lot of gluten products are just full of crap. Like a lot of them are full of sugar. 
So then you're like, well, I'm, I don't have, I don't know for you, but for me, it's in severe, severe pain when I consume gluten for the most part. I think I was glutened, unfortunately, at a wedding and I tried everything. I talked to everyone and the chef, whatever, but I think, I, but I was okay. For the most part, I was okay. And that's not a normal thing for me. But then it's like transitioning from, okay, now I have celiac disease. I have to be gluten-free. I am feeling a little bit better. But then why am I still not 100%? Like if that was my answer. And I, the other piece to celiac is that even when I was 10, you were saying you found a diary when you were 10. It didn't mean that you necessarily had celiac at 10 years old because your gene might not have been activated until you were 27, much like me, I was 26. But when I was 10 and fueling my body in an inappropriate way with lots of crap food, fast food, all these things that made me feel awful. And then you find an answer and then you take a huge part of your diet away, which is gluten, which is like everywhere in the United States. You can't go to restaurants and then you're trying to heal yourself. I, I guess it's really hard to explain to people unless you've been through it, that it's almost I, I was hearing you say like there's a grief period and then there's an anxious period. And then there's like you get over it period, but then you're not well and you question yourself again. I think anyone who has had allergies or celiac can relate to that, this wave. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even like, you know, anger is part of grief too. And it's like you go out and everyone gets to eat the bread basket and, you know, situations like that can feel really frustrating. I always tell if people, if you ever want to understand what it's like, go to a barbecue and only eat the watermelon, right? Like if I, you're invited to a family barbecue in the summertime or you're invited somewhere like a, a fancy restaurant and just order a glass of ice water, like that's what it feels like pretty much constantly. But there is, I, I just love what you do because there, there are ways around it. And I don't know about you, but I, it also taught me to prep. I prep, prep, prep. Like if we're going like before this wedding, I did eat, like I brought stuff that I ate in the hotel room before I went or yeah. just I always prep when we go, we travel, I make hard boiled eggs. And so I do think, again, a lot of my diagnosis helped me to be a healthier person because I prep so many things to come with me. So when I'm going out, I'm not grabbing a bag of chips. Do you right. find the same for yourself, especially your kids have food allergies? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a couple like examples like that have happened. So I had gone on a work conference and again, you do the follow up, make sure that there's going to be safe gluten free choices. And so I was down in Atlanta for a work conference and we were going to be doing these like tours of different businesses. And so we were on a bus all day from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they said that they were doing a bagged lunch. And I did pack like some protein bars and some snacks. However, once it got time for the, the lunch, the sandwich, they had no gluten-free sandwich options. And so literally I was left with a bag of chips that day. So I, you know, again, that was like sort of early on in my diagnosis. So I was like, okay, like I always need to make sure I am like packing an actual maybe meal or, you know, having something more substantial prior. And then a uh, pack of deli, like, a pack of uh, nuts and turkey, but a packet of Applegate deli turkey goes with me pretty much everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a protein. Like you said, the boiled eggs. And so then, you know, another time too, I got stuck in an airport and I ate through all my snacks. And at that point, going to a restaurant, the only option was nachos. And so again, asked the questions about like, 
you know, they were gluten-free tortilla chips. Come to find out, they put beer in the cheese sauce that they poured all over it. And I didn't know until I was like halfway through. So it's those times like, we're, you know, I'm not perfect. I've, you know, I've glutened myself and, you know, it, it happens it, when that's out of your control. But I, like you said, like I do prep more. I joke when I travel with friends or coworkers, I always get held up at the airport because I've got like this huge bag of food with me. But it's worth it because... Yeah. You know, like separation is key. It's healthier. It's fueling my body with, you know, good energy. I'm going to feel good. And and that's really what matters at the end of the day. Yeah. One thing that too, that I found was, um, I think being celiac is magnesium deficiency. That's something I don't know if you've kind of delved into about magnesium and how not only as women and then past medication use can do that, but also celiac can make us magnesium deficient. So again, the, the diagnosis has helped me like to not only be a healthier person in t- in terms of what I choose to consume, but also go down the rabbit hole a little bit of like what little minerals I'm missing. And I just like that you help um, help people navigate the celiac side and then some of their own healing. So that's very cool. Yeah. So I forgot to mention too, again, like after, you know, a couple of years still not feeling great. And I, and I think I did have the SIBO that you touched upon, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So I did actually end up going to work with a naturopath um, mm. doctor. And that did help too, like you're just saying the magnesium. So there were different supplements um, that I started to take that, that really did help me as well. And so part of my business is I do like have referrals of different people that I can recommend, you know, also to to be part of that kind of support system outside of like your traditional primary care doctor, GI. and Because unfortunately, they're, I say this again gently, it's just that there a lot of them are as educated about celiac disease. And I mean, when I was in practice, even my colleagues didn't know what they knew about celiac disease until I told them, but I knew because I had the disease. So it's it's just some of these integrative health practitioners and naturopaths are, know a little bit more about the nutrition side for healing. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of families have children or themselves have food allergies. You said you have a tree nut and egg allergies in your household, right? Is that, yeah. And um, yes. yep. so how do you help your kids navigate food allergies? What's your approach? Because I was actually my first nursing job. I was a school nurse and each parent had their own level of like angst around allergies. It was really interesting. I'd have one mother come in with an egg allergy and she gave me instructions and she gave me EpiPens and was very like on it. And then another one, I'd get one that was like, yeah, he can't have milk. And then have another one that I think it was probably based all of their experiences with the child's allergies, whether they ever had went into anaphylaxis or not. But I personally don't support like allergen friendly schools. I, I do understand not having allergens in the classroom, but I just don't think it helps kids to navigate their allergies if we say, okay, you can't have peanuts in the whole school. But I was wondering what you do with your kids, like how you approach it, that anxiety piece, just to help parents who are also like navigating that, maybe sending their kids to kindergarten with an allergy. I know several parents doing that. Yeah, I'd agree with you because, you know, my place of work is not an allergy friendly, you know, they like there's going to be allergens in the real world. So I agree with you on that. So my approach, so with my twins, they're six, they both um, developed allergies, you know, when we started introducing solid food. And so, you know, similar to me being on a gluten-free diet, again, I'm kind of grateful in a way that I had to, you know, like read labels more and, you know, navigate you know, learning like what's in like, you know, eggs and everything, basically. And you had a little little dip of experience with it because you knew yeah. at least how to read a label and the seriousness yeah. of it. Yeah. 
And so although, um, you know, it was tricky at first, and I think what I had a hard time with is my kitchen at that point was 100% gluten-free. So then I had to, you know, navigate the shared kitchen piece. But with teaching, you know, my twins, I started teaching them about me being gluten-free. And I told them like what I could eat, not eat and show them labels, you know, and then to try to translate it to them, they they did quickly recognize, you know, when they started learning words, those were actually some of the first, you know, words that I did try to teach them um, just so, you know, because they're not always in my care. And so recently, it actually surprised me. My son, I had packed, you know, their lunches and my son came home and he pulled out this bar and it was one of my gluten-free bars that I had run out of like his. And I was like, oh, like he can have my kind bar. Like, you know, it was one that didn't have like the nuts in it. And so he's tree nuts, she was egg. And so he actually showed me, he's like, look, it said, I didn't eat this today because it says it, it contains tree nuts. And so I was like, I was just so proud. But at the same time, like I had like a panic, like, oh, my gosh, like what if he had eaten that at, at school? And so um, I kind of fall in between the, the parents that you were talking about. Well, there's know, always going to be anxiety, right? I mean, I get it. I, I don't have a kid with an allergy yet, but I totally understand there. The parents yeah. that were very anxious, I totally understand. I'm empathetic to it. It's just at the same time, we have to teach them. We have to help them to navigate because, as you said, you're in a workplace that's not gluten free. Right. And so um, luckily, like, so again, we worked with an allergist. And so for my daughter, she could actually eat the egg and bake goods. And so then we did the the testing where we were there for like four hours where she would have little bits of she was more allergic to like the egg white. The egg and, white. Yeah. That's yeah. More common. So we did the whole like four hour, like she would have little bits at a time. And sh so she grew up by the age of five. Oh, okay. However, with my son, he's gone the other way. It's become more tree nuts as we as he's gotten older. So I don't believe he'll outgrow that. I think there's like a nine percent chance. Is he is he almond like is he almond cashew like has specific ones? Yeah, basically it's all of them except for almond. And I kind huh. of think that the almond is not prevalent because I baked with it for so much being gluten free. Mm. So I mean, who knows? But yeah, yeah so he has a walnut allergy too because walnuts yeah. technically a seed. And that's where it gets complicated for parents, too, because coconut is considered a tree nut but it, right. by the FDA, but it is not a tree nut. So does he have coconut issues or no? No, because no. I've used coconut oil and coconut flour and a lot of my baking. So, yeah, those are yeah. the only two that that he's not. Not allergic. Interesting. So you did a lot of education is what you're saying, like reading play because one one thing that has been really cute with my kids is if we're ever playing chef or um like kitchen they'll say mommy i made you this this pizza it's gluten-free yeah. it's so cute um it's and then my my four-year-old is dairy free it's not it's not a typical allergy like i need an epi pen but he does not consume dairy and he'll even say like i made this pizza it's dairy free and so i think people get scared that their kids aren't old enough to learn x y or z but really if you introduce it and you are practice with it they really learn quite, yeah quite quick and look at your son I mean you said he was how old was he when he did that six oh uh, it was pretty recently so yeah he was six yeah and so just I guess feeling that even though it is scary as a parent to send your kid to a school or away from you they really can learn quickly it's amazing um and my kids know like when I give them something or if they go somewhere they'll say mom is this gluten because they they have consumed gluten but they know after they have gluten they have to wash their hands and things have to get wiped down so is your kitchen a shared kitchen now or do you are you mainly gluten-free kitchen um it's mainly gluten-free like when we have like spaghetti night i just cook all like 
gluten-free spaghetti meatballs. We have like the two separate toasters. Yeah, um, same here. You know, but for the most part, like I just, I just keep things separate, like in my pantry, like my stuff's on top, their stuff's on bottom. But yeah, for the most part, you know, I'd say they, they actually do eat quite a bit of gluten-free stuff just because it makes it easier for me for cooking. Yeah. Um, cooking and then hands and contamination and all those yeah. things. Yeah. We have one gluten, gluten pantry for my husband and that's essentially it because he gets it. And we have a gluten, we have two ovens because we had renovated and that was like one thing for me I really, really wanted. And so my husband, like, or they, we have one gluten oven and one non-gluten oven and that makes life a lot easier. I bet. Yeah. Um, so to end, I want to give you a chance to tell people where to find you and I'll put it in show notes as well, but just um, where people can find you, learn about the gluten-free events if they happen to be in your area, um, but also if they're looking for someone, a new navigation of celiac disease. And I'm assuming you help with kids as well. It's not just like if I'm a parent and I have a kid. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've helped, uh, you know, a couple parents that do have children with gluten-free, especially like we were talking about navigating school and, you know, when kids bring in treats for birthdays so those types of situations and and kind of, you know, I'm able to recommend a lot of products because I've tried so many. So it's so frustrating when you spend, you know, $10 on a loaf of bread and it doesn't taste great. So I'm able to also <laughs> like provide, you know, recommendations of different products too, which is great. So my website is mrsbfreeliving.com. I do try to keep that updated with the events, but also it explains kind of the different programs and, you know, you can inquire, you know, how I can support. I do one-on-ones or I can do a full-on like three, six-year program. And then I really probably keep the most up-to-date is my Instagram for social media. I'm not really on Facebook. So really it's it's probably Instagram or my website is where you can get the most up-to-date information on events and products and restaurants and, you know, things like that. Yeah, you're my girlfriend. You told me you helped me find those grain. Are they grain free too? The gluten free, tree nut free tortillas that, oh, yes. that are made from plantain. Yes. Those are yeah, good. they are really good. They fall apart. I mean, but that's uh, I saw a meme once that was like when you take a bite of a gluten free burger and it doesn't crumble and you have that moment. I it, It's so true. Like I took a bite of something that I was like, this didn't crumble. Like, is this yeah. going to make me sick? So they do kind of break apart, but they're still like a great alternative and they're dairy free and they don't have great, you know, so you're always good for those uh, alternatives. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on, Caitlin. Nice to meet yes, you. Or nice to see Sorry. you. I think we've met one time for a video yeah. too, but nice yeah, to actually hopefully I can you. come up to Central Maine and, and do an event. That would be Yes, great. that would be awesome. <laughs> thank Thanks so you. much, Holly. Talk soon. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble, and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone, this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at hollylogan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.